everybody. I'm Sean Reynolds from Sports and about to be joined by Ken Weeb from the Winnipeg Free Press. Together we are Kenny and Rennie, and this is the Kenny and Rennie post-game show. After what I have to say, I completely disagree with Jeep Guy 6969, who says not a very good game to watch tonight. Disconnected play for the majority of the game. Uh, I have to say, I thought that this was a phenomenal hockey game. Um got to say as a broadcaster it was hard to get stories in because so much was happening in, during the game at all times a little bit of a track meet but not a track meet in the kind of way where teams are abandoning defensive responsibility I have to say that we talk so much on this show about Rick Bonus's system and that kind of being the star of this Winnipeg Jets team I think you got to give credit to uh, Marty St. Louis. And yes, uh, we can go there later. Uh, I'm sure some of you heard me on the broadcast. But Marty St. Louis' system that that team played tonight, I thought the style of play was one of the more successful styles of play that we've seen a team play against the Winnipeg Jets. But regardless... Uh, a lot of people were pointing it out to me. The the Canadians really pushing hard to hold the line, to bottle the Jets up into their own zone. A lot of teams will allow the Jets out of that zone. That's a mistake because they roll all over you. The Jets were doing the same thing to the Canadians. So what I saw quite often in that game was the Jets coming down the ice, playing pretty dominant hockey for certain stretches. But then the Canadians doing to the to the Jets, what the Jets often do to other teams in that when the Jets are are kind of having, you know, the, the other team leaning down on them, all of a sudden you send out Adam Lowry's line and they go take the puck, move it down the ice, grind you in your own zone, entirely change the momentum of the game. I thought the momentum shifts in this game were quite often something to behold from both teams. I thought the Canadians were able to do it with not just their first line or their second line, but kind of down their lineup. And it made it a little bit of, uh, you didn't know what was going to happen in this game. Uh, And I'll say this, if we've talked in the past about the Jets and other teams getting a book on them, I would suggest that this game that the Montreal Canadiens played, and yes, they barely escaped with with uh, uh, a win in, on this night. And yes, p- uh, power play, specialty teams is the difference on this night. But if we go back to that Dallas Stars game that I go back to quite often where they got the lead on the Jets and sat on it in the third period and basically just went into a defensive shell, the Montreal Canadiens did the opposite, which is what I think you you would have to do if you're trying to go against the Winnipeg Jets. Now, it sounds crazy because in that Dallas game, Dallas didn't get scored on. They win 2-1, to one, I believe, was the final score. And the Montreal Canadiens give up the lead in this game. But the reason why I think them pressing the Jets the way they did was a good strategy throughout the game was th- that's not what they got caught on. You're worried about pressing a team and holding them in their own zone because you're worried what's going to happen is at some point the team that you're trying to hold down is going to chip the puck past you, get past you, get in and on odd band rush uh, or a breakaway or something like that and score to tie up the game. You don't want to give up the lead like that. The Canadians didn't really do that. And conversely, the, the Jets weren't allowing the Canadians to do that either. Not a lot of crazy odd man rushes in this game with two teams that like to score off the rush. Um, the Jets get their goal to tie this game the old-fashioned way. If there is a fault, I think, in this game, because I do think the Jets are the better of these two teams, um, although you got to give it to the Canadians who have come out with two wins against the Jets so far this year. 
it seemed there was a little bit of overpassing going on by the Jets for a good chunk of that game. Uh, some nice moves at certain points by Mark Shifley. But in the end, Rick Bonus talked about this. The goals that get scored in this game are goals that it's simply getting the puck to the front of the net, having guys there to capitalize on it, creating chaos. That's what Gabe Velarde does when he scoops that puck from behind the goal line and puts it in. By the way, um, the last two goals that Gabe Velarde had scored, talk about having those great hands in tight and that big body with the ability to take that puck so far. If you go to the last game, that goal in tight, and he's just got the ability with that long stick to take it all the way to the other side of the crease and put it around the goaltender here tonight. Pucks in behind the net. That big reach allows him to bring it from behind the net all the way to the front to pop it in. An interesting goal, I thought, just for the idea that Jake Allen, you can see at some point uh, when I first saw the goal scored from the the above camera angle, I was thinking that the Jets had lost the handle on the puck because it almost looks like um, Jake Allen doesn't think there's danger to the play. And upon the review, I think that's the case. If you take a look at him, the puck falls in behind the line. And what he's not expecting is Gabe Lardy to get it back in front of the net with that reach as quick as he does. So the body posturing I see from the goaltender in that case looks to me like a guy who suddenly thinks, okay, there's not really danger here. And then all of a sudden there's danger and it's too late to act on it. So he kind of has this little bit of a giving up on the play posture to him in that situation um i guess i just walk out of this game and i think uh if you're the winnipeg jets i don't think there's any shame in losing that game i thought the montreal canadians played very well here's a canadians team that has the kind of swings that would allow them to you know fall to a team like you know a lot of the teams that they have this year they're not a playoff team i don't think they're going to end up being a playoff team because they're too inconsistent But when they do put their game together, it can look like a game like tonight, which I think is legit. I think that the Montreal Canadiens handled their 2-0 lead far better, and their game plan was far better, and their compete level was far better than we saw in that LA Kings game. Uh, Same thing with the Anaheim Ducks game. I guess the one thing that I would say about this, and I don't see a Winnipeg Jets team that is kind of abandoning their structure like we saw last year to create danger, but what we are seeing is a Winnipeg Jets team that's fallen down 2-0 in three of their last five games, came back to win the first, came back to win the second, almost came back to win this third. But I would suggest uh, the pattern of, you know, falling behind in games. I know they don't do it on purpose, but I would suggest that the Jets are being a little more reactive. Someone out there is listening and uh, pointing or taking note that I didn't say reactionary. The Jets are playing a little more reactive, I think, than they have been in the past and allowing the game to be dictated to them. Uh, and I think they've th- th- that's happening because they got away with it in the past, right? Down 2 nothing, they come back and beat uh, Anaheim 4-2. Down 2 nothing, they come back and beat the Kings 5-2. When you don't get burnt, sometimes I think that you have a tendency to go back down that road. If there's one thing I think was the big flaw of the Jets tonight, other than the PP and the PK, uh, it would be that I think the Jets are falling into a situation where they're thinking, ah, there's no hole we can dig ourselves out of. We can't dig ourselves out of, which is a good thing to a tool to have when you need it but not a tool that you want to rely on, if that makes any sense to you. That's my take on it. Time to get the take of the man with the best music in the business, everybody. Here comes Kenny. Two, one. 
Ken, uh, I, people have said it before. Uh, I don't know if it's a Christmas thing or if it's a winter thing, but the black, <laughs> the black shirt, man, I got to say it looks, I, I would never do it. And I'll tell you why, because I couldn't pull it off. I don't have the bone structure. I don't have the jeans that you do to pull it off, but I got to tell you, man, that looks sweet. And of course uh, it looks sweet because it's a Vittorio Rossi outfit. I'll take this off because people were giving me crud for not uh, showing off the suits as I proudly do when I'm wearing Vittorio Rossi gear. That's the, that's the case here tonight. Uh, absolutely great stuff that we always get from Vittorio Rossi. Uh, if you want to get the kind of great stuff that Kenny and Rennie find themselves wearing on these broadcasts, head on down to Vittorio Rossi on Corden Avenue. Walk in, loudly proclaim Kenny and Rennie sent you. Ask for Frankie or the boys and they will take care of you. Make you look like a million bucks. Kenny, what did you think of that game tonight? Yeah, a super interesting game uh, on a lot of fronts, uh, I would say. First period, pretty low event all around, and you know, Rick Bonus pointing out that not a lot of room out there on either side. But, I mean, it just seemed like it's interesting. It felt like both teams were kind of feeling each other out in that first period to me. I don't know if you agree or not, but as the game wore on, I would say the Jets got better. You know, like you said, they didn't want to fall behind two to nothing, and uh, another day where the special teams kind of let them down, but you know, I'm with you. I mean, this isn't this isn't the kind of uh, overtime loss that would you know sound a, sound the alarm bells. I mean, no, nope. uh, you know, and I'm not making light of this, but I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of or not I shouldn't say a lot. There is the occasional fan on the old Twitter slash X machine that uh, is dropping a lot of same old jets out here, and that's that's just so, so far away from the yeah. truth. I mean, it, it's not the same old Jets, which is why we've been talking. You know, of course they're going to have to show it for 52 more games. Sorry, uh, let's get the math right. Yeah, 52 more games. Yeah. This was game 30. You nailed it. Never uh, do it yourself, yeah. Ken. <laughs> you know, math was never my strong suit, despite <laughs> the best efforts of my teachers at W.C. Miller Collegiate, Sean. Um, yeah, I mean... Uh, it's tough to get too bent out of shape for that game. I mean, do I think it was the Jets' best effort? No. Uh, structurally, they were pretty sound. Again, five-on-five five play was a lot of determined hockey. I mean, they didn't maybe generate as much as they have been in the past couple of games. Uh, the one thing, I mean, I would say this, and I don't, it's far, it's too early to call it a trend, but, you know, both, you know, a couple of times this year, um, they've come out of incredibly excellent efforts you know, I would think back to the Florida game, which was one of their best games of the year. Sorry, it was their best game of the year at the time. Um, didn't really play well against Nashville the, the next next outing. Today, I, I don't think it was a huge letdown game for them in facing the Montreal Canadiens. They kind of knew what they were up against. It didn't become a wide-open hockey game and, you know, chances end-to-end. The Jets didn't get, you know, suckered into the snake charmer type of game. Nope. Um they were still very sound. I thought, you know, Connor Hellebug was solid again. You know, it snaps his streak of 10 consecutive games with two or fewer. But for the Jets, it's the 20th in a row. It's a quarter season now, Sean. Like a quarter season consecutively yeah. where they yes. have not given up four goals in a game. Now, you know, the, like, just to put that into perspective, I mean, the Jets last time they allowed five was against the Vegas Golden Knights on November 2nd. November 2nd. We are sitting on December 18th right now. That's a long time to go. 
uh, without giving up an empty net goal or a night where a power play gets hot for the opponent, things of that nature. Now, it's not perfect, no. I mean, this this would be a classic example the other day when uh, the other day when Rick Bonus said not every game will be a Picasso. That's today. I mean, for the most part, the Jets were fine. They were okay. They were better than average, but they didn't get the job done because their special teams let them down again. Now, is that cause for concern? No. Uh, what it is cause for is that it's a long season and winning in the NHL is hard. The Jets have won six of their last eight games. If they continue to play at a rate of six of eight, they will easily make the playoffs and have the ability to make noise. Now, was today a great game for them? No, it was it was an okay game. And, you know, sometimes okay is the best a team can muster. And that's kind of how I would put a bow on this one, Sean. I mean, we'll, we'll dig into the details about the power play. Yeah, the power play is a concern. There's no, like Rick, Rick Bonus openly saying they'll have to consider changing the power play. Now, yeah. that's okay. something we yeah. haven't heard a lot. We'll dive into that after I step back from the buffet here. But uh, I would not be concerned. It's important that Cole Perfetti got himself on the board. And as ridiculous as it sounds... That was, you know, first goal in seven games for Perfetti. And Perfetti went through an amazing stretch of hockey where he was, I think it was points in 12 of 14 or even 13 of 15 at one point. So, you know, he'd gone a little bit quiet. And I love the fact that he he went to the blue paint to get the goal. I mean, it's it's we talk about this all the time. When things aren't going as smoothly, you're not maybe getting as many rush chances, you're not getting as many touches on the power play as maybe one might like, go to the blue paint and things, good things will happen and that's what happened to Perfetti. So uh, other than that, I mean, the Jets weren't, you know, their top line wasn't as great as it has been. But having said that, you know, they still got a goal and were involved in the game. I mean, the Lowry line had some chances. The fourth line, I thought, had some great shifts again. And the Perfetti line gets a goal. So a defense core, I thought, overall was pretty sound. A scary moment for Josh Morrissey. We'll dig into that a little bit deeper as well. But overall, you know, kind of gutsy road win for the visitors. And, you know, yeah. their, their special teams were better. I, you yeah. know, this, this, wasn't, this wasn't Jake Allen stopping 42 like he did. Um, in Montreal at the Bell Center. Uh, this wasn't, you know, the Jets collapsing. It wasn't, you know, they battled back from 2 nothing down to get a point. So uh, we all we often talk about point gain versus point loss. And Sean, to me, this is clearly in the point game gained category. It's not a point lost. Yes, in the standings, I recognize the Jets would have preferred to. Uh, for me, anytime a team goes from 2 nothing down, it's a point gained. Um, I usually don't like to go in this direction. You know, I don't, when it comes to, uh, reps, I almost have, <laughs> I almost have the, uh, do I need to put uh, the collar back on you or no? Do well, I need to put I, the I collar back on or no? I, I'm tempted to almost <laughs> do the pristine roofing wake up call on, on the chat room. That is like clearly, clearly trying to blame this game entirely on the refs. Now I, I'm just at the stage where I, I don't know. Like I, I'll be honest. When I'm doing the broadcast, there's a lot of things that I have going on, so it's not the sharpest thing. I don't know what I'm missing here. I didn't see a game that looked clearly decided by the refs. Am I missing something yet? Yeah, I mean, I would put it this way. And I, there, to me, I understand there are some people upset about the Nikolai Ehlers call. I'm sorry, his stick was in his feet. It is not the obligation of the player 
to jump over the player's stick in that situation. Mike Matheson has a clear lane to the net. And I get it. Some people are saying it was interfered. Nikolai Ehlers was interfered with on the way to Matheson. Fine. But that's not going to get called at that point of the game. Ehlers' feet is in Mike, stick is in Mike Matheson's feet. It's called. That gets called. If that, let's just flip the coin around, Sean. If Josh Morrissey has a clear lane to the net and Jake Allen's stick is in the feet of Morrissey and Morrissey falls down, that's going to be called and fans are going to be going nuts. That has to be called. I get it that it's a ticky tack play, but it's an infraction. That's not the reason why the Jets lost. The Jets lost because they didn't score on their power play, not because the call was made late in the game. And let's just get to get into this right away here. Um, for all of the folks that maybe didn't see the NHL referee's explanation on the goal that was challenged for a hand pass, what the league saw, and I don't know... I, to me, it's not definitive, Sean. You looked at more replays probably than anybody on your yeah. monitor. Yeah. I don't see a distinct... I thought there was one angle from the back that it looked like the puck might have clipped the top yes. of Anderson's stick. Yes. I don't see that as being decisive, but I understand that the call on the ice was goal, right? If the call on the ice is goal, then I don't think it was... Uh, to me, I don't think it touched his stick, but I don't think it was obvious or blatantly obvious. So I understand. And I was very curious, Sean, I'm I'm applying N NFL and N MLB kind of rules to this. The fact that he said confirmed, that right. to me was tricky because I, I didn't, that, to me, if this was baseball, Sean, this was the call stands. I don't know that it was ever confirmed, but I think right. you would say there wasn't enough evidence uh, overarching evidence or abundantly clear evidence that you could have overturned it. Right. Nor do I think there was enough evidence if it had been called a hand pass on the ice. I don't think it would have been overturned because the referees may have seen a tick of the stick. Uh, and one thing too, quickly, Connor Hellebuck makes a great play. He prevents Anderson from getting his stick easily onto the puck. Like when he goes to attack the puck when Anderson bats it down. Now, I also understand some folks at home think, you know, because Nikolai Ehlers was just called for closing his hand on the puck, Sean, the other day was obvious. Nikolai Ehlers closed his hand on the puck and threw it out of the zone. Right. Today, I thought yes. that Anderson batted it down. Some people I spoke to, including some people that, um, you know, know a lot more about the rules than I do, thought it was pretty clear that the glove was, you know, it was, it could have been called on a glove. Uh, and, and that's fine. But anyways, I, I, you know, again, I don't, I don't think this is as simple as saying the refs cost the Jets the game. They, they, I mean, the refs made some calls that didn't go the Jets' way. I, I would agree with that. And I get it. People can, can they, like Julie Sue said, ref, much like the players and much like us in the media, if, if people don't agree with our take, they let us know about it. So For I'm sure. okay with people saying what they feel about those plays, but I do think it's a bit of a stretch there is no conspiracy theory. Uh, nobody in the NHL office wants, you know, the Montreal Canadiens to win that game instead of the Winnipeg Jets. Um, you know, it, it just that's the call that was made on the ice. That's the call that was made and on review. And ultimately, the Jets did not kill the four-on-three penalty, nor did they score on their opportunities in the third period to 
take care of business before regulation was over with? Um, a couple of things I want to touch on here. So Merle Peters and I've heard this one quite a bit. No issue with the Ehlers penalty. Wish the interference had been called. Now I get this. I understand it. But the sure. one thing I would say is if you're a Jets fan, this is one of those careful what you wish for yeah. situations. The Winnipeg Jets are one of the best teams in the entire NHL, and it is part of their makeup, and it is part of their system to consistently run pick plays and things that could be determined, as the people are saying here, as interference. Um, and they do it every game. And they're one of the best in the league at it. And I love that they do that. It's it's using their bodies to create and open up space. They do it time and time and time again. But I don't ever hear anyone suggesting that here. What I'm saying is what you saw from the Montreal Canadiens on that play is you will see the Winnipeg Jets do 10 times a game. You will see them do that over and over. It's not called because it's one thing that's determined in the NHL that if you can get body positioning on the player and act as a pick, you know, as long as you're not like right outright holding the player, it's it's not going to get called interference. So to me, that one I'm hearing refs, uh, I'm hearing the fans say it over and over again. I don't buy it because the Winnipeg Jets do it all the time. And if you complained about it when the, your team did it, then I'd get it. But this is my whole thing when it comes to refs. If you're a fan and you're constantly saying that the refs suck, you better be saying to me, well, they actually missed. Like I'll say this, Pat Rathwell is a guy that him and I get into it quite <laughs> often. But Pat Rathwell is a guy who will, who will come in and he'll say, I don't like that call, but I also don't like that call against the Jets, right? So to me, one thing I haven't heard of here tonight is the call that uh, – that, um, who was it? Uh, oh, Uri Slavkovsky got called on the Mason Appleton call. The the review to me looks like Uri Slavkovsky is just basically going down the ice, and it's called I don't know what what that was. It called interference, but like I, I thought he elbowed him right in the head, Sean. I mean, I I thought he well, elbowed him in the face. I didn't. I thought oh. he was skating. He was trying to take the guy off, and what I mean, he's standing up here. What is Mason Appleton's face doing that down there? As if I asked that question. And, and listen, I'm not saying I'm right. But if someone would have come on this podcast and thought that was a soft call, because I'll tell you who thought that was an extremely soft <laughs> call when it was played on the board, half the arena, because half of them were Jets fans. I thought we were going to get a refs you suck chant in Winnipeg, but by the Montreal Canadiens fans. So this is one of these situations where like what I'm looking for is like outright blatantly obvious. You yeah, can't yeah. ignore that kind of stuff. And what I'm seeing here tonight is a lot of opinion things that could they have gone one way, one way or the other? Sure. But if you're going to be here and you're going to be complaining and saying the refs decided this game I better be hearing about all the, th the calls that I thought were missing on the other side of things. To the goal itself we watched that time and time again I can tell you not one person in the truck John Bartlett watched that all over and over again uh, and I'm going to tell you right now John Bartlett is not a guy who's coming in here and rooting for one team or another you heard him in the playoffs with the Jets last year. He calls a game fair and square. Jamal Mayers, another guy who walks in and is so true to the game because he just played so recently. He just loves the game and what's happening in the game. No one thought that th there was like a closed hand on that. Jamal Mayers suggests that there's a tiny bit of uh, change in the rotation of the puck because he thinks that it hit um, – that it hit Josh Anderson's stick, so that negates the call. Um, I looked at it. I think he may be onto something, but it's inconclusive. As T. Conapoli says earlier on here, it's inconclusive. Here's the problem. Once the call on the ice is made and in yeah. real time, and if you are taking a look at the this play in 
slow motion over and over and over again, and you still can't tell whether or not the puck hit the stick or not, well, then how can you call out the refs who in real time don't have anywhere near the high-definition camera work that you have and thought they saw it tick the puck? I mean, if you can't tell at home, then they, they, then how can you give them a hard time for thinking that that happened? Whether it happened or not, to be honest with you, I still think it's like it's maybe a 60% touch the puck, 40% the stick didn't touch the puck. But let's be honest with ourselves here. If you're going to try and call out the refs on this play and say it was unfair, you're being unfair to the refs in that moment. The only situation here that everyone has to always remember, the Jets challenging this play means they need definitive proof that the puck did not touch Anderson's stick. And I don't think that existed because I, I honestly think, I, I, I think it was T. Cornipolis said, it's an inconclusive play. So once it goes one way, it's not coming back the other way. Just, it's my way of saying, uh, if, if like, I think you're missing the point if you take a look at this game and think that the dire- the that the Winnipeg Jets got entirely jobbed by the refs. Uh, so I'm giving the uh, chat room and all those folks saying that the pristine roofing wake up call, and you know what that means. Time to give North End Rick the pristine roofing wake up call. Give him a call at one two zero four nine eight one six two eight nine. He'll take care of all your roofing, siding, exterior needs. He's the guy who comes and tells you exactly what you need and passes the info along to Pristine Roofing, who will come down and do the job for you, and they will do it right. They would do it pristine, I would suggest. Give them a call at one 237 7663 Ken, I've held you up too long. No, no, what it's fine. Just uh, tying a bow on this whole thing. The guy who had the best view of this play on the ice is Connor Hellebuck, which is why I put it to him after the game, Sean, during the post game, and this is what he said when I asked for his perspective on the second goal by the Canadians. It's a fine line, said Hellebuck. Him grabbing it and moving it changed what I was going to do. If he, if he would have just dropped it right when he had it, I would have poked it right off his stick. That's what I was prepared to do. Then he threw it forward and it kind of threw me for a loop and made me kind of freeze and change what I wanted to do. Then he gets a lucky bounce as it bounces off the ice and just nicks the top of his stick. For me, I hate to see that go in. There's not much I can really do about it. So I'm still not 100% certain that when Hellebuck said it ticked his stick, that's what he had heard or what the explanation to him was from the official when they came by during a stoppage. Uh, that I didn't get clarification on, but Hellebuck wasn't up in arms. I thought if Hellebuck thought it was obvious, he would have been up in arms, Sean. We've seen how Connor Hellebuck reacts when he doesn't agree with the call that was made, and that didn't sound like a guy who was going crazy over what the call was on the ice or in the video review. Uh, to me, you know... I'm not saying this is proof that Anderson touched it. I'm just saying that if Hellebuck references the tick of the puck, I think there's a, certainly a chance that it did hit his hit, hit his stick. <laughs> no doubt. Oh, um, boy. Let, let's move on. Uh, there's gonna there, there's definitely there's definitely a segment here that thinks that this was the. I don't know, maybe the most egregious uh, game that we've ever seen before when it comes to a team getting screwed by the refs. But anyways, we'll have to leave them in that. Um, I wanted to get something because you were the guy who was mostly asking the questions on it, getting it. Rick Bonus kind of turned the Rick Bonus, not like pointing to the refs on this night. Rick Bonus right. squarely pointing the finger at the special teams of his team. You touched on it in your opening trip to the buffet. Um, basically him saying like things need to change 
too stationary, all these kind of things. Uh, are you surprised at the intensity oh, man. at which Rick Bonus was calling out his team on a night where, like you'd said, I mean, th- this team's been this good for this long. They're still hanging around first place, not yep. that far off. They've got a game in hand. They win that. They jump over top. Uh, of the Colorado Avalanche. Were you surprised? Because we've seen this before from Rick Bonus, where he'll come out and he'll call a spade a spade and he'll suggest, you know what, we may have won tonight or whatever, but he'll yeah. like call out his team. This to me was a s- very significant call out for his team. And I was kind of surprised given where they've come from and what they've been doing lately. Yeah, I mean, at one point, Sean, to your point, he catches himself. <laughs> He's about to erupt we're going to have to revamp both. And he's about to say both units. And then he kind of changes his chain train of thought to it's another game where, where special teams cost us the game, but he goes on in the next answer to go a step further. Well, we're not generating much. So we're going to have to look at how we structure the power play. So he's basically, not only is he suggesting there could be personnel changes to the two units, he's flat out saying, they might look at re overhauling the structure, overhauling the entire structure. So, uh, you know, we're it's our job to try to interpret that. I mean, for me, that would suggest that he is going to consider moving Mark Shifley to the slot, right? Isn't that what yeah, you think when yeah, he says revamp yeah. the structure? Yeah, well, right now the power play runs through Mark on the half wall. To me, when you say you're thinking about revamping your structure you're considering flipping Nikolai Ehlers into his strong side left wing spot, Josh Morrissey at the top. And then Sean, for me, I think about Cole Perfetti on that other half wall, what we would call the Kyle Connor spot. Now Kyle's not as dangerous of one timer option, but I could see a scenario where you have Mark Scheifele in the slot and Perfetti on that right wing half wall and setting up a, the one time, you know, that we're, we're thinking about the Wheeler to Shifley one timer in the high slot, um, and then you have Velarde down low and as a net front when you get it up to Josh Morrissey for the shots, and Nikolai Ehlers on the other side for the shot. But uh, I mean, outside of that, what would you think of them doing? I mean, they're not going to take Morrissey off. They're not going to flip flop Morrissey and Pionk. Not for me. Um, so, what other options could the Jets be looking at structurally? Yeah, I, I wonder about the idea of, uh, and we should actually get into. We never got to tell this story. I'll pro- maybe I'll tell it on the next broadcast. But I got some interesting stuff today on uh, Nick Ehlers when it uh, sure uh, Mark Shifley. I wonder if they wouldn't consider going back in that direction and maybe trying something they'd done in the past, just because they think that the chemistry that has been building between Mark Shifley and Nikolai Ehlers is something they wouldn't like to explore again, just to kind of you know shake things up in this situation um i'll say this uh typically in this situation what i would what, what i would be talking about because we saw it work in the game on velarde's goal we saw it work on cola caulfield's goal is the jets just needing to get the puck to the net more often yeah. than they are but i can understand why that that's not just a simple solution for the coaches because as rick bonus was saying afterwards when we do shoot it we're not getting the puck retrievals um so it, it, it seems to me that the Jets are a team right now, at least on that first unit, that is just very locked into watching their own teammates and trying to yeah. get open for their teammates and kind of losing the idea of 
of where can I go to make this dangerous? What can I do to create issues? Now, a perfect example of that is, uh, and I'll go to another team, but the way that Val Nachushkin in the last game on the one uh, or the, one of the two goals that they did get against the Jets, where he just kind of goes to the front of the net and you can see at some point he sets himself up and I believe Brendan Dillon kind of gives him a cross check like he's got to deal with him. But one of the things that the Jets do on the penalty kill is they pay attention to the puck carrier to try and keep the puck from getting to the front of the net. So the, the job won there for, for Brennan Dillon goes from being like, well, I can't move this guy out from out front for this. So the second best option is to turn and try not to let the puck go through. It's Nathan McKinnon who throws the puck, but he doesn't try to get it on net. He tries to get it off the backboard so that it bounces back out. Uh, does so in a way that Nachushkin screens Connor Hellebuck, and then the puck bounces out, and Connor Hellebuck doesn't know, really know where it is, and they tap it in off the backboards. I don't want to give too much credit to the Avalanche because the Jets were so much the better team in that game, but that's something that worked on the power play for them. What I'm seeing from the Jets is a bunch of different players getting to open ice to receive a pass and then move it to the next guy. And they're just doing a really, really great, efficient job of moving the puck around the perimeter over and over and over again, but never getting it to where they want it to be. Um, so I think there needs to be a front of the net element to this thing that that hasn't really existed. I would almost, Ken, yeah. be suggesting the idea, which I had told said years ago that I didn't think was a good idea. But, you know, sometimes, as in breaking up the third line, <laughs> bad ideas can eventually become good ideas. I'm not saying we're there yet on that one. You sure? I, I you never sure? really liked the idea of Adam Lowry being the net front guy and just kind of sitting there. I think Adam Lowry's game has progressed to a place, though, that he could be that guy who acts – similar to Nachushkin, where he can pop out from the front of the net and not just be a guy who sits there, because I think that idea is a little bit dead. That guy who goes to the front of the net and just sits there, and now it's basically a four-on-four, and the opposition is just trying to keep the puck out. But if Adam Lowry was able to be that guy who can fight his way to the front of the net, create some of that chaos, I think he's got to a point where his hands are better than they were years ago so he could capitalize on rebounds. But I like his fight and his compete and his ability to, once that shot goes to the front of the net, to try and track down that rebound and keep the possession of it. That would be something that I would be interested in looking at uh, because, and I mean, it's it's less effective because you don't have that Kyle Connor one-timer anymore, but maybe if you move um, Nikolai Ehlers into that spot and then try and set him up on the one-timer, maybe you get a guy like uh, Adam Lowry who starts creating enough chaos creating enough puck retrievals, those kind of things, that you start to get a, a, a power play and guys like Josh Morrissey, um, uh, Nikolai Ehlers, and and uh, Mark Shifley, who are a little bit more focused in taking shots at getting the puck to the front of the net and trying to earn a puck, force it into the back of the net once you do get it there. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I'm here for it. I would say I think Gabriel Velarde can do a fine job in terms of net front presence. Uh, he's just sort of trying to find his way uh, on that unit as he works his way back. You know, game 12 today, I think for him, uh, he comes up with an. I mean, his goal is a classic example of you know cleaning up the garbage below the goal line and getting to the net. So he's doing that at five on five. I think he can do it on the power play as well. Uh, the one other thing, if you have Ehlers kind of coming off the, you know, downward plane on the left wing side, I think you could get some, you know, perfetti download of Velarde quickly across the net to find Ehlers on that back post, the way we used to see it with Paul Stastny getting involved that way in the down low position. But Sean, just as a reference point, 
the last time that Adam Lowry like saw significant, well, maybe it's not the last time, but the year that he scored 15 goals, which was a career high in 16-17, Sean, five of his 15 goals were on the power play. He has six in his career. So, I mean, he is not unfamiliar with the net front presence role, but he's such a valuable piece of the penalty kill uh, that you're you're adding you're you're tagging on a lot of minutes now power play minutes aren't heavy minutes but i agree with you i mean i think that it's something he certainly can be the second you know the net front guy on the second unit and you know right now in the top unit struggling i think it would be you know an interesting you know idea i'm not i'm not opposed to it i would give velarde a little bit more time in that role before they go to that but um yeah, I mean, it's certainly something they're going to have to consider. And uh, as I mentioned, Lowry here, Sean, I just want to mention this one here. So this is a good take. Um, this was sent to my inbox that after we're, after the interviews were already wrapped up. Uh, why did Barron take the last draw? Someone taking it with a higher aptitude of winning them would have killed 20 of 44 seconds left on the power play, mitigating the defensive impact Barron could have had. Um, I would say this as a counter. Um, none of the Jets had a good night in the draw beyond Lowry. Lowry, 56%. Lowry unavailable because he was off the ice. Gustafson tonight was at 40%. Uh, Vladislav Nemesnikov was, let me see here, sorry. Vladislav Nemesnikov, 33%. Even Mark Scheifele, uh, if you consider him, you know he could be an option in that scenario. But Mark's not out there for a lot of four-on-three work either. So, I mean, the alternative was David Gustafson in this situation, basically. Uh, nobody had a great night in the face-off circle beyond Adam Lowry, so I, I can understand the premise, uh, but I don't I don't see that Morgan Barron going in and take. I know he doesn't have a ton of experience at the NHL level with draws, but this is a guy who's played center a lot in his career, and he's the next best penalty killer, so uh, I can understand why he was out there. But yeah, I mean, as a point of reference, I'll, I'll see what Rick Bonus says in terms of just strategically why that happened, but... I mean, based on just a quick look at the numbers here, Sean, I would think that that's a pretty fair explanation and probably was what we would hear from Rick Bonus. Um, I just feel like I need to be clear about something. When you asked me the question, you asked me about shaking up the power play. Oh, sorry, sure, now, sorry, sorry, now, sorry. Now, so, so when when the question is posed of shaking up the power play, hey. I guess my suggestion and let, let I didn't say it was totally that. opposed to no, it. No, I, I think I'm I think I'm more like responding to the chat room here. Okay. Uh, and so it's why I'm reaching back into the bag of tricks. Gotcha. To play. I think that if you went and took like based on Rick structure bonus tonight and how his response is and what he's saying, if we're trying to shake up this power play and you're trying to get to people and be like, I'm not saying the best possible option is to be honest with you, the players that are on the ice right now, I think are the best possible option. Right. We've gone here before the idea of shaking up the power play to me is clearly Rick bonus is frustrated. Clearly he's trying to send a message. Clearly he, he wants his players to realize he's not messing around and the time for them having issues with this is there. The idea of putting Lowry on there is not saying we're going to send Adam Lowry there and he's suddenly all of a sudden going to become the best net front presence in the game. We know already that Gabe Velarde is proving. I talked about it earlier in the show. He's got the best yep. hands in tight on the net. No problem. Nino Niederreiter is also going to be that option. 
my response is to Ken and the suggestion of shaking it up. I think if you put Adam Lowry there, it shakes things up. It forces guys to go into a different direction and be like, okay, let's just start getting the puck to the front of the net because we know Adam Lowry's there. We know that's what he's there for. It's basically putting a giant sign in the middle of the ice saying, get the puck here and get it here right now. And I think once that happens and you shake up the mindset, I'm not for a second suggesting Adam Lowry is now the number one power play threat in the with the Winnipeg Jets or anywhere else in the league, this is the suggestion to shake things up, to kind of change the ideology of the Jets' power play around. And then once you get them playing like that, you start putting the pieces in there that would react properly to there and be the guys who would be your best fit there. Just before it's... No, right on, right on. Stop losing their minds here. And, And for those people losing their minds, Adam Lowry had 40... Five goals and 88 points as last year with the Swift Current Broncos. So I don't want to hear the take, Adam can't play that role. He can. Now, you can save Nino Niederreiter is a better fit there. Fine. As a seven-time 20-goal scorer, that's okay. But don't, don't suggest that Adam can't or is un, in, incapable of handling the job because that, that's simply inaccurate. He, he had five power play goals the one year when he spent some time on the top unit. So he can contribute in that area. Um, okay, time for us to move on here. I wanted to have a quick conversation, but before we do that, uh, let's do uh, give us a shout out to Sweet Lou. Right on, folks. For the folks who have realty needs they would like to have met, so you can contact our main man, Lou Ferlin, at Royal LePage Dynamic Real. <laughs> okay, Mall. At Royal LePage <laughs> Dynamic Realty, 204 791 9971, or at the office, 204 989 5000. His email is lou at louferlin.ca. That's L O U at L O U F U R L A N.ca. Lou Ferlin, excellent realtor, excellent human being, and excellent supporter of the community, including this podcast. You know what, Ken? We should have made better friends with the audience and told them the Jets got boned by the refs tonight. I think they'd be less harsh on both of us. If we well, at least they're here, that. Sean. I mean, 260, yeah. it's pretty good. good point. We, sometimes good we've point. been in the hundreds here. And yeah, when it comes to the losses, you're As right. we're shouting out the fans here, incredible job. Over 500 uh, lives on Saturday after the Avalanche game. And I, I think it's probably over 3,600 now in the YouTube views. So kudos to the folks tuning in. Uh, I would also say, you know, Let's see what happens here. Good job. This is good, nice numbers for after a loss. But um, yeah, let's go uh, buy and sell. Are we, you got anything to buy and sell today, or what do you what do you th- what do you think in there? Uh, you go first. You go first. Um, I'm buying. Uh, I'm buying Nino Niederreiter. No, I'm just kidding. I... <laughs> Let we'll, we'll come back to it. We'll come back to it. Uh, okay. Um, I wanted to have a quick conversation about Connor Hellebuck, uh, and maybe we shouldn't have a quick conversation. Maybe it should be longer. I wanted to kind of go through the process of what I've been thinking about this. Um, I, I still do think Mark Shifley is this team's MVP this season. I know whenever I say that, there's a bunch of people who jump in there and say Connor Hellebuck's the MVP. I know we've had a lot of conversations already can as well about me suggesting that Connor Hellebuck hasn't had to be Connor Hellebuck um, to, to, to have the success that he's had this year. And, uh, and I back I, I don't back down from that. I think that's entirely true. I think that's entirely what we've seen, but I guess what I think that my mind was getting locked into is the idea that, so if you go back to Connor Hellebuck winning, um, uh, or one of the suggestions for him winning, or sorry, the year that he did win the Vesna Trophy, it was a year that ba- people were basically saying, you need to think differently 
about how we award that award because the Vesna Trophy for a lot of years was basically going to a goaltender that had a really good team around them and 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 they would finish well. They'd have great numbers, lots of wins, all those different kind of things. And the argument back then that was successfully argued, and he wins because of it, is that Connor Hellbuck, where would the Jets have been without him? So if they're just a fringe NHL team, uh, sorry, playoff team, but they're in the playoffs because this goalie dragged them over the line, isn't that worth consideration? And I think that's a kind of not necessarily a made in Winnipeg idea, but a really bought into Winnipeg idea that has really been adopted around the league. I think I'm getting, I've been guilty a little bit so far this year of having locked into the idea that that's what Connor Hellebuck needs to be a successful goaltender or a goaltender that needs to be considered for the Vesna. I think this is a, a, a mind shift that you kind of have to go through with Connor Hellebuck where you say, yeah, he's not standing on his head. Yeah, he's not stopping 44 shots a game. But what he's doing is he's still succeeding and still continuing to put up great numbers under a new system that, yes, he does look different underneath. He may not look as uh, bombastic underneath. But the fact of the matter is, and I think this is like a correction that is, you know, a lot of people in the chat room probably got to this already. I needed to get this in my head and kind of change the idea of what Connor Hellebuck's success looks like. I think I got so used to Connor Hellebuck's success looking like a goaltender that took a team that wasn't doing what it should be and getting them over the hump by doing that. What we're seeing now is a Connor Hellebuck who's playing underneath the system that's designed not to make his job very hard, but him to be there for the most part when that job does get hard. Perfect example tonight, which we're going to get to later. We are, is that yes. save on, on Nick Suzuki at, uh, at uh, I don't know, about midway point, the third period, something like that. Yep. That game does not go to overtime if that save is not made. And that is a big game save made at that point. I think that's more the idea of the goaltender that Connor Hellebuck has not changed into. He's just so good that he can play this style of game now underneath this. I know he said at the beginning of the year he was struggling a little bit with the new system and how to play off it. It looks to me like he's figured it out. And, yes, the people are starting to talk about him being in the conversation for the Vesna Trophy. It's that mind shift if you look at it like that makes sense that he would be in that conversation yes i'm glad you saw the light i hope it was part of my column that i wrote in saturday's uh, winnipeg free press sean uh well, where, where i reference this day, <laughs> <laughs> and again so in today my, my piece for folks who may have missed it i mean i wrote today about the jets team defense and um sort of reinforcing my point to you sean is that even though the jets are a lot better than they have been defensively in terms of structure and commitment um, you know, according to the public data at Natural Statric, they had still given up 273 and created 260. Well, I'll have to go back and check the numbers. I think it's 276 and 263 high danger chances created versus allowed. So even though they're improved a great deal, they are still giving up uh, a lot of high danger chances. Now, as you've touched on before, they're coming from areas that are much more predictable, which is what Connor Hellebuck loves. And I mean, there's a huge debate and he even, we were talking about this a little bit on Friday during our conversation. I mean, it's an in, it's an in, you know, inexact science, if you will, because who's taking the shot at what time and from what space, like there's a big difference between a 50 goal guy getting that chance and, uh, you know, a fourth line guy on a, you know, lower end team in the NHL. So, 
But Hellebuck did say he has adjusted well. I mean, it's just, and it's funny. Like he, he, he was very simplistic. He was talking about just enjoying things. He's not overanalyzing his video like is something he's done in the past and enjoys doing. Um, just sort of like going with the flow. He feels like he's getting, you know, his team in front of him is making one more play. He's making one more save, getting creating his own luck. Uh, but you know, ultimately. You know, it, it's interesting because I asked him about what he was going through mentally early on in the year, um, and and he's thinking, how am I at eight ninety save percentage? Because I feel good, and lo and behold, that save percentage is now nine sixteen. He just stuck with his own process, and you know, sort of got back to playing the game and having fun, and now all of a sudden his numbers look normal. Uh, Two forty six goals against average. He's among the league leaders and. Uh, goal saved above expected, which again is another stat where Connor's not 100% sure about it. Even though he's done well in this in this category, you know, expected by whom is always the big question, right? So, um, anyways, it's it, it's interesting. I'm glad you're seeing the light. Um, I, I do agree. I think still through 30 games, I, I do think that uh, Mark Shifley right now would have the edge, but. You know, Connor Hellebuck has closed the gap, I think, considerably in the last 10 or 11 starts for sure. And the other thing too, Sean, 23 out of 30 games. I mean, that's, we're talking about workhorse territory again for one of the guys who's been the busiest in the NHL over the last several seasons. But, you know, I do think right now, if we were voting, uh, you and I would be, unlike last year, we would be casting the same ballot currently. Yeah, yeah. Well, just to close out this conversation, um, it would be very interesting, uh, and I think it would be something that would be carried with a lot of pride uh, and more pride than in the past for the Winnipeg Jets if Connor Hellebuck were to win uh, another Vesna Trophy at the end of this season. Uh, listen, there would be pride regardless because Connor Hellebuck, once again, as I've said it before, is if he's not the best, he's one of the best goaltenders in the entire NHL. But the last Vesna Trophy he had was Connor Hellebuck's trophy. Uh, if he won a Vesna this year, it would be the Winnipeg Jets trophy. It would truly be a team trophy yep. the way that uh, they're playing right now in front of them. Uh, Got to say, uh, I, I'm impressed with it. Uh, and I think I think it would be a teamwork trophy. Uh, and I'll transition that to our friends at Cambrian because uh, they know everything about teamwork. We wanted to give them a quick shout out to the team at Cambrian Credit Union from answering members' calls in less than one minute to having all their advisors available by video from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. It makes it so easy to be a Cambrian member. It is obvious that the whole team at Cambrian cares about giving you great service. Well done, Cambrian. Okay. Moving on, uh, we should probably get into it. Uh, let's start with it because we all already talked about it. Let's go to the keg save of the game. I think ours is the same. I think we've already brought it up. Oh yeah, like just exceptional pass by Cole Caulfield uh, on that. I, I think it was on. Was it on a power? It was on a power play. No doubt, it was on a power play. Uh, and it, the save, Hellebuck is squares him up, and he's it, it makes it. He makes himself big and just absolutely robs Nick Suzuki. Point blank chance, like just before or just after the midway point of the period, uh, that's a that's an absolute turning point in the game. Uh, instead of building the lead, they 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 keep it at one goal, and the Jets find a way to score. After that, they get the Perfetti goal, and yeah, that, that's just a, that's just an exceptional high end save. It's classic, and I, this is the other thing. Just to put a bow on my conversation with the Connor Hellebuck from Friday. I said, I said, you know, one of the things about you is you make the difficult saves look routine. And he kind of chuckled and said, it's a blessing and a curse. He said, because everyone expects you to almost make every save. And when one gets past you, people are like, 
what's going on? Why didn't you have that? So, yeah. said, <laughs> so that was super interesting as well. This was another example of that type of save. Like this, this shot is labeled and Hellbuck makes himself big and makes sure uh, that the puck goes to the corner. Yeah. You know what? To the point of what I was just talking about, I think there's a little bit of that for me, right? Like what you're expecting from Connor Hellbuck now is when a goal does go in and it looks like a a normal goal, what you're seeing is like, well, the Connor Hellebuck, who was stopping 44 shots a game and helping the Jets win three to one with an empty net goal, probably would have had that one. I think that's the mind block uh, that some people and, you know, probably writers around the NHL are going to have to get over because Connor Hellebuck's success doesn't look like Connor Hellebuck's success has in the past. It doesn't mean that it's not still success. No doubt. Uh, Ken, uh, you're going to have to announce the name tonight. Oh, sorry. I thought uh, I Because you picked them. Um, but I just wanted to say that's Ken's and my uh, keg save of the game. You should share with us your keg save of the game because if you do, you're automatically entered to win a $50 gift certificate to any of the fine keg locations in the city. The three of them, each finer than the last. Ken and I went and had an awesome meal there. Uh, it was great. Kenny and Rennie Christmas party. It was good stuff having a Kenny and Rennie Christmas party party that was outside of the kenny and rennie december <laughs> to dismember party uh so we just have christmas parties all the time and we absolutely love it ken do you have a name for our keg save of the game winner from last game yeah buddy i have terry trey right here at terry trey in the comment right. section at terry trey uh, big winner. you know what to do big winner you know what to do direct message me at sn sean reynolds give me your full name terry uh and give me your email i believe you've won in the past uh Send that information to me, and we will have you sent a $50 gift certificate to the keg, usable at any of their three locations, each location finer than the last. Okay, let's get to the Johnson Group Gotcha Covered play of the game. Yeah, I'm going to go Josh Morrissey coming back from taking the puck in the face here, Sean. I mean, there weren't a ton of things during the game itself. I mean, I think there was a really nice breakup by Neil Pionk that I saw, but I would say that... I mean, we've talked a lot about a lot of things about Josh Morrissey, but that's a scary moment. The puck rides up his stick, Nick Suzuki shot, rides up his stick, catches him in the face, and it left a pretty big gash. Uh, you know, I think I think it was only four. I mean, I shouldn't say only four big four stitches to get it closed, but that looked like something, Sean. I mean, you got a close up of it on the on the monitor down at ice level. Boy, that that that's probably going to produce a pretty vicious shiner come morning or the day after here when it's time to pull for the jets to play the red wings uh on wednesday but yeah i i think that morrissey uh coming back that was a great example of the of exactly what we're looking at in the we've got you covered uh play of the game here i i lost a tooth this summer with that exact same play so as soon as i saw that and the velocity at which yeah. that traveled into his face that was that was a rough one so a honorable honorable winner or winner of that award no doubt coming out the way he did one thing i loved about that ken you wouldn't have heard it but on the broadcast um uh jammer uh, jamal uh had come out jamal mayers had come out and said um uh, that's a rough one, but I expect him to be back in a couple of minutes. And nice sure call. enough, there he was, right? Jammer, the kind of guy who uh, would have been the first guy back. Hey, never mind. Great story to tell from this. Uh, Jammer and I did a game last year. It was not a Jets game. I left, if you remember, and you will remember this because our boy right here, Ken Weeb, made his first ever appearance on Hockey Night in Canada on a Friday night. The only ever... <laughs> 
Friday night version of Hockey Night in Canada. Ken Weeb made an appearance. Uh, after that game, I flew and I left Pittsburgh and went to Denver to go right. to a game between the um, uh, Ottawa Senators and the Colorado Avalanche. Jammer was in between the benches in that one and took a puck to the side of the head and was split open and was leaking. And they had to stop the game for Jammer to get out of there. He went into the uh, for the first intermission and the Colorado Avalanche trainers were stitching him up where he could be heard yelling at them, hurry up, the second period's about to start. And with like 30 seconds left, he came running back out and didn't miss a beat. Uh, so Jammer knows what he's talking about and he knew what he was talking about in that situation telling us that uh, we could expect Josh Morrissey back. He was Josh Morrissey, no doubt a warrior. That is the Johnson Group got you covered play of the game and hey, do you run a small business in Canada? Look to Canada's number one employee benefits plan. Chambers plan to give you a competitive edge. Chambers plan is the simple, stable smart choice for over 30,000 businesses countrywide. Visit chamberplan.ca to learn more. Thank you to the Johnson Group Johnson Group, the Kenny and Rennie OGs. And that brings us finally, oh, you got one, something to say? One quick one, just, uh, you know, also got you covered. Uh, just wanted to uh, provide a shout out to uh, Robert Mallette, Mullet, uh, 1,500 games oh, yeah. for the uh, Jets Athletic Therapist today at the uh, f- big, big moment for him. Uh, great sign from his friends and family. 1,500 games, no points, Mullet. It was a <laughs> They showed it before when they had him up on the board. So uh, a great human being. I've known him uh, for a long time, dating back to the Moose days. Uh, cheers to many more. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Noxie here saying Jammer's a solid analyst, needs a little seasoning to be smoother, but he sees the game well. He sees the game extremely well. I think we could all use a little seasoning. Ken, I called Marty. I don't know how this is possible. Uh, extreme brain cramp. And it had something to do with the script that I'd wrote out. And I was re- I don't always read off a script. I did that time. But I referred to Marty St. Louis as Marty St. Louis. Uh, and so uh, I could use a little seasoning here tonight as well. I think Jammer was the more seasoned of the two of us on this night. And Jammer just got started a couple of years ago. One thing Ken and I know is every time that Jamal has been here, he has seen the game exactly yep. how it occurs. He doesn't need to be told what the Jets are up to. He sees it. But boy, oh boy, he'll take in information. He uses it uh, in the broadcast. He does a great job. Uh, a, a budding star in our industry, I would say. Okay, to the TCB Lamplighter of the game, what do you got? Yeah, let's go back to the goal I referenced earlier for Cole Perfetti. His 10th of the year is just a vintage play. Go to the blue paint, go to the dirty areas, and bang one home. You know, you've gone six games without a goal. You know where you should go? Go to the blue paint. So there might have been prettier goals in the game, but to me, uh, that, that, that willingness for a guy who's incredibly smart, he knows where goals are scored. Uh, he gets to the difficult area finds a way to get that puck past Jake Allen and get that game to overtime in a game where offense wasn't coming easily. A uh, good shot from a uh, good shot from Gabriel Velarde and Brennan Dillon also gets an assist uh, on that play. So, yep, that's my lamp lighter. I think it was simple, uh, simple and easy. Sometimes yeah, that's all you need. Get it to the front of the net. And I thought there was a tendency by the Jets at times earlier in the game, even though they were they were doing well with puck possession and five on five, a little bit of a tendency to overpass the puck and not get it to the front of the net. And in the end, the simplest of throwing the puck to the front of the net, yeah. uh, just opening up a, a one-timer from almost near the blue line. That one-timer has nothing to do with the expectation that Vlad Nemesnikov is going to score in that situation and everything to do with the idea that they're just open 
opening up a shooting lane for him to get to the puck with a little bit of heat, hoping for a rebound. That's what happens. That's smart hockey. It's gritty hockey. That's the kind of goal you can score right now. You can score it in the preseason. You can score it in game seven overtime of the playoffs. Uh, that's that's why I agree with you. That's the lamplighter, Ken. And hey, you should share with us your lamplighter of the game because if you do, you're automatically entered to win a frosty delicious eight-pack of lamplighter amber ale brought to you by our friends at TransCanada Brewing Company. If you can't wait for Kenny and Rennie to gift you your own frosty delicious eight-pack, you can head on down to TransCanada Brewing Company and join them in their tap room at 11290 Keniston where we will be having our next K&R live event the January. It's been named in, in the chat room it is now officially the January for Fanuaries. You got to come out, all you Fanuaries. In January 22nd, going to be a great game. Monday nighter as the Winnipeg Jets take on the Boston Bruins. It will be a Monday night hockey game broadcast by us at the uh, uh, our friends at Sportsnet. Uh, you want to come down and check that out. It's going to be a great one. And we have, uh, oh yeah, he's already put it in there, the Eventbrite. I know that there's been a number of people who've already got a hold of me asking where they can go get tickets. They weren't finding it. Well, it's up there now. That's where you head for the show. Uh, come join us. We had a blast with you at uh, the December to Dismember, and we want to do it all over again with the Fanuaries in January. Great stuff. Ken, anything you got to say before we get out of here? Yeah, a last quick one. I mean, we've we've touched on everything in the game, and I know you touched on it in the broadcast or they did with the panel. But a uh, friend of friend of ours, friend of the show, a friend of hockey in general, uh, shout out to Cassie Campbell Pascal, uh, moving on from her role as an analyst at uh, you know Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada uh, to be a consultant with the P. Uh, PWHL I think that's a great you know great move for her we know how much she loves the game as a whole and the women's game is growing and uh, it's going to have a much better chance of growing with Cassie Campbell Pascal involved uh, we're proud enough to call her a friend and just wanted to wish her all the best here uh, as we wrap up the show she came on a long forum with us and yeah. we've had a ton of great chats with her over the years a uh, really smart hockey mind and a great human being and uh, just wanted to wish her all the best in that next chapter here awesome with us behind the scenes a true star a true yep. star of canadian hockey yet as humble as it will get we spent so much time with her ken before uh and she's just one of the best people to talk to and just one of the nicest most balanced human beings you'll ever meet but yet so smart knows everything she's perfect for the role she's going into but she was perfect for the role she already held with us it's going to be tough to see her go i will say this a quick story i always like telling this cassie campbell story 2018 the year the jets go to the conference final she gets brought into town and i will tell you this two people that i've worked with where i got the biggest pop where i was out with them in public and people just lost their minds the first the biggest was don cherry and i mean god i remember at the jets uh, first heritage classic in 2016 i saw him and don treated me really well and was a good friend uh, remains a good friend to this day I saw him in the trailer and I said Don why don't you come out and walk out uh, in the stadium with me and he looked and he said are you kidding do you know what would happen to me if I went out there amongst all those people because I wasn't thinking I'm just Sean Reynolds who walks out and no one ever notices Don Cherry cannot go out anywhere with getting mobbed biggest pop but the second biggest pop that I've ever seen or a person that I've been without was Cassie Campbell. Everyone knows what she did for Hockey Canada, for the Olympics, all those different kind of things. And she treats people, gives everybody the time of day. She was mobbed right here, right here in this lounge when I did some opening hits uh, during those games. Um, couldn't get the people away from her and she didn't want the people away from her. Uh, just an 
absolute class act and Ken, you and I are both extremely lucky people to have shared the screen with her or any time that we've had with yeah. her. Just the fact that we can say that we know Cassie Cam Campbell and she'd give us a head nod when she sees us. Boy, oh boy, we are lucky guys and that is crowning achievements in this industry. That's it for us. Uh, another crowning achievement for Ken and I uh, is just the fact that you all choose to spend the time with us. Yeah. Great turnout here tonight. Uh, great, great uh, chat room holding us accountable on this night. I'm loving every single minute of it. We like to call you out. You got the wake up call tonight. You love to call us out. It's a symbiotic relationship. Oh, hang we on. We need Sorry. each other. Oh yeah, you got it. You got it. D Mart is the right winner <laughs> at D Mart. D Mart. D Mart. Okay. Um, good stuff. D Mart. You know what to do. Direct message me at SN Sean Reynolds. Uh, send me uh, your full name and also send me uh, your information, your email, and I will send you a Frosty Delicious Eight Pack or a voucher for a Frosty Delicious Eight Pack of Lamplighter Amber Ale. Brought to you by our friends at TransCanada Brewing Company. That's it for us. Uh, before we go, if you appreciate the conversations happening in this space, please, please appreciate our sponsors who fight to keep the conversation going in this space for us. That's Vittorio Rossi, Cambrian Credit Union, the Kenny and Rennie OGs, the Johnson Group, Sweet Lou Ferlin, Pristine Roofing, TransCanada Brewing Company, and of course, the keg. Thank you to them, and thank you to all of you. We will chat with you again after another, uh, the third of three straight uh, um, Sportsnet games happening on Wednesday. We will talk to you after that as the Jets continue original six week with a game against Andrew Kopp and the Detroit Red Wings. We'll see you after that.